session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolokin. I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Studio number 310-441-0555. So, doing the books of the week today, because on Monday night, I was very happy to be joined by Tara Grammy. We had a great conversation talking about mental health, stigmas related to mental health and therapy, also culture, specifically Iranian cultural issues and how they relate to mental health as well, and just being an artist and her own journey in becoming an artist and, and all the, the aspects that she's experienced related to that, which was really, really enjoyable, had a great time. And many of you already responded about that conversation. So thank you again to Tara Grammy for joining me Monday night. So that brings us to the books of the week. So the book of the week for this week that I'll talk about on next week's show is The Future is Degrowth, A Guide to a World Beyond Capitalism. The Future is Degrowth, Matthias Smeltzer, Andrea Vetter, and Aaron Van Stinten. I'll have to practice those last names before uh, next week. The Future is Degrowth, A Guide to a World Beyond Capitalism. Looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you next week. The book of the week from last week that I'll talk about today is The Turnaway Study, 10 Years, a 1,000 Women, and the Consequences of Having or Being Denied an Abortion by Diana Green Foster. And so, uh, you know, the Roe v. Wade decision, Supreme Court decision in the United States related to abortion, understandably created a lot of reaction. Uh, abortion is a very hot-button issue with people on both sides of the debate feeling very strongly about it. Polarization is really high in the United States in general, but this is one of the more polarizing issues. And so, of course, anything related to abortion um, is going to create a, a lot of um, reaction. So to begin with, what I won't discuss today in the study itself, in the book itself, doesn't discuss, is the philosophical philosophical debate that is related to abortion, um, which can itself be one of the reasons why people have intense reactions to it. But I can't answer those questions. I don't think anyone can give an answer to them. Most people's uh, beliefs either come from a religious understanding, which sometimes is from religious books, but often is from religious individuals over time or groups who have um, formulated some type of an uh, opinion on this or a belief about, for example, when life begins. Um, and on the other side, people who see it in a, a different perspective or might recognize um, when life begins at a, in a different way, when, for example, the fetus can viably live on its own if it was to be born or removed at that time. So that is, of course, um, an aspect, a very important aspect of this whole issue. So 
in a way, we can't talk about it without talking about that to some degree, but there's also no way for me to answer that or give my perspective, and I'm not going to get into that today. What this study looked at is what are the consequences to the individuals who are either denied an abortion or given an abortion, and what happens to them, their futures, their families, their children they might already have, or future children, looking at those impacts, because actually, as much as abortion has been a hot-button issue for decades, there hasn't been uh, a lot of research, actually, that can give us answers. And so, as Diana Green Foster talks about in the book, even we see Supreme Court decisions made or rulings where an individual uh, justice might share their opinion, but it's really opinion not based on data. So. Justice Kennedy saying something along the lines of it would be conceivable or it would be reasonable to assume that many women will regret their decision and this will affect their mental health if they have an abortion. But that was based on just his thinking, his his opinion wasn't based on data. And so what this study aimed to do was to look at issues like that. What does happen to a, a woman's mental health? after she gets an abortion or if she is denied an abortion. So looking at the the study itself and what what it was, so as the subtitle says, 10 years, a thousand women, and the consequences of having or being denied an abortion, what they did was they went to an, in various abortion clinics across the country, recruited women who either were just under the limit so they could access an abortion or could not access an abortion because they were just over the limit. So many states have certain restrictions, and even sometimes clinics will have a different restriction of the abortion when they can provide an abortion or not, according to gestational limits and levels. So if you've been pregnant, for example, 12 weeks or 20 weeks, some states and then some clinics will allow or not allow based on that. So what they want to do is compare those women just on both sides of that border those, let's say, who were just under the limit, they could get an abortion, those who were just over and could not, because understandably, these individuals would be similar um, in their experience, and if they were similar in their backgrounds and other uh, demographic and important issues that relate to outcome, then we could see that the impact of having or not having the abortion, what was that on their lives and, and, and different factors like that. So um, they followed about a 1,000 women and collected data usually I, th I think it was every six months um, they collected data and also with some of the women they did more in-depth interviews and in the book there are 10 stories that are shared of 10 women who some were given abortion some were not even one gave their child up for adoption which is actually quite rare rarer than I think most people think in these situations. And so you also get to hear their stories, which I think is quite important because, of course, the data and the numbers are very important to understand what's going on. But when we're looking at any type of social is issue, public policy issue, we want to hear the stories to know what do the individuals affected actually go through, not just see it from a distance and, and not recognize what's actually going on. So those stories do illustrate in a more uh, complex way the situations that women find themselves in and what they go through and what leads to their 
decision-making process and what they have to go through to try to access an abortion and all of those aspects. So they um, recruited women who were fairly similar in most ways. They found the ones that were just under and just over the gestational limit. And the data is quite compelling, and it essentially makes it quite clear that abortion does not have a negative effect on these women. Um, and quite the opposite, there are some negative consequences to women who are not granted abortion and have to carry a pregnancy out to term that they don't want to carry out and then deal with, obviously, what will be happening after that. That's a big uh, take-home. Um, I will share some of the, the data to give you an idea of what the study found in different areas they looked at. To begin with, we can look at what are the reasons why women seek an abortion? Because, as I said, there hasn't been a lot of data gathered on a lot of these issues, a lot of issues related to abortion, but people have their assumptions. There's myths out there that you hear, um, things that we've accepted as some kind of truth but might not be the case, and that's why it's important to have scientists look at the actual data, collect the data, and see what happens. And then going back, another issue of the methodology is that usually in a study, the best thing you can do is to randomly assign people to different groups, and then some of them get some kind of treatment or some kind of whatever it is that you're trying to test. Some people don't, and then you measure them over time if you can. But of course, ethically, you can't force some people to get an abortion and prevent some people or allow some people and not just yourself making that decision. So the Turnaway study had this advantage of they were really just observing what was happening. They were not forcing or pressuring anyone or creating people the, the opportunity or denying the opportunity for an abortion, but looking at those individuals who either were denied or who were granted those abortions and seeing uh, what happened to them over time. So here are the top reasons that the women gave um, for for seeking abortion. And women are, were allowed to give more than one reason. And what they found was that most people have more than one reason. And so I say that because when you look at the data, it adds up to much more than 100% because people could give more than one reason. So the top reason was not financially prepared. And so the women in the study um, who were seeking abortion, we do find that they are, tend to be from lower uh, income and wealth level. So not financially prepared was 40% of individuals gave that answer, almost half. Not the right time for a baby was 36% based on circumstances they were in, their age, financial preparation related to that, different aspects of their lives also could be related to the partner they were with, which was also its own issue, but it just was not the right time. That was 36%. Partner-related reasons, 31%. Many of the stories you hear in the book, there are individuals who are in relationships that are either abusive or toxic, very unhealthy, not stable for a variety of reasons, making it that having a child with that individual would not be favorable for that person. Um, there's also needs to focus on other children was 29%. Now, this was another one of those for me, uh, a, a misconception or assumption I had was that most women seeking abortion, they are younger individuals, or the stories we hear often is of the younger individual who wants to get an abortion, um, which does happen. But also what we find is that 60% of women seeking abortion in the study already were mothers. So 
they already had children. It wasn't their um, first pregnancy or their even uh, they already had children in their lives. So um, that was a, a, a significant reason for many people. 29% gave that reason that they had to focus on their other children and having a, a new child would interfere with that. Um, interferes with future opportunities was 20%. So many of these women were in a stage in their life where they knew having a child would interfere with setting goals or achieving goals aspirationally, educationally, professionally, which also relates to the uh, support that they had, of course, because the less um, supported they, they would be, the harder it is to f take care of the child and pursue goals. But nonetheless, uh, not having a child, of course, will affect the types of things and that someone can pursue. And so this is uh, a big part of what people say when they look at abortion rights is that it also takes away the woman's decision to plan her future and plan her life. We're taking that away from her uh, as well. So then there's other reasons that got less than 20% not emotionally or mentally prepared. Health-related reasons do come up. That, of course, uh, is, is one of the um, reasons that most people actually on both sides might agree to that if the mother's health is in jeopardy or if the child, uh, the fetus's health is uh, certainly going to be not good, that they might be more open to to an abortion being okay. Um, so things like that, not an independent or mature enough for a baby, wants a better life for a baby, um, doesn't want a baby or to place baby for adoption. Again, adoption tends to be a very unpopular um uh, decision for mothers to make. If they can have the abortion, they will, but if they have to carry the baby to term, it's very hard for many women to be okay with giving the child up for adoption, knowing that they're out there, but not having a connection or relationship with them. So that was giving you some of the reasons why um, women will seek an abortion. Uh, but what I want to do is get more into the data and what was found in the turnaway study about the women who received and who were denied abortions. Again, this is the Turnaway Study by Diana Green Foster. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Continuing the discussion on the book, The Turnaway Study by Diana Green Foster. And so, as I mentioned, the, the book is based on this study that was done over 10 years, collecting data from a thousand women about their experiences of either having been denied or having an abortion. And so this book compiles uh, all of that into, I mean, it's a summary, it's about 300 pages long of all the research that was done because many papers have been released uh, uh, based on this study, on different aspects of it specifically. So in this book, um, Dr. Foster is compiling all of that into a more, uh, into one volume where you can see what the different findings were with these individuals. And and Dr. Foster, Dr. Diana Green Foster, is a professor of, uh, at the University of California, San Francisco, in the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Sciences. Uh, but as she talks about in the book, there was many, many collaborators, a uh, multidisciplinary team from um, various social science fields and medical fields. And of course, the individuals from the abortion clinics themselves had to be involved at least in the initial phase as well so it took uh, a village as it always does and this is a compilation of all the research that was found in this study looking at women and what they experienced now another uh, myth 
that people sometimes have or assumption that we might have is that when people are getting a later abortion, however you define that, but let's say in the second trimester even, people assume that the reason why is that they have been uh, contemplating what's the right decision for them, going back and forth, and they are unsure. But actually, their data revealed that this was not the case, that once women learn they are pregnant, usually they come to this decision with, sometimes immediately, but uh, at most usually a few days or a week. It's not that they're going through weeks and months of debating back and forth, and that's why they are now in doing a later abortion or not in the first trimester or whenever it might be. Most women, uh, when once they learn they're pregnant, they shortly after do come to a decision. Why do some women end up in a later stage abortion? Well, often it's because they don't know that they are pregnant for a variety of reasons. So the people who are more likely to not recognize they are pregnant include younger women, because younger women, one, they might not be as familiar with the um, the experience of becoming pregnant and what that is like, but also they're more likely to have irregular periods to begin with, so they might not recognize um, what they're going through or missing a period might not be that uncommon for them. So we do find younger women can oftentimes be more vulnerable to not knowing they are pregnant until later because uh, of these reasons. Also, other individuals who might not um, regularly have their menstrual cycles including for a variety of health issues or uh, obesity or different issues can also be related to this not recognizing that you are pregnant. So often it's not that what we see in the study is that it's not people are thinking about it that makes them wait. It's often that they um, don't know till later on. And also another reason why people are arriving at the abortion clinics later is that for individuals who have financial constraints, there can be issues of multiple issues of getting to the abortion clinic. One is having the money to pay for the procedure, uh, it being not covered by insurance, that they have to find a way. For most people, it's not going to be covered by their insurance, so they find a way financially to pay for the procedure. So that's one obstacle. On top of that, especially lately, there are less abortion clinics available, so often the travel can be considerable where an individual um, will have to find a way to get there, possibly even stay there, and then related to that, taking time off from work if they have to. That itself can be a financial uh, issue if someone is struggling. If they have children of their own, finding childcare, that can be an issue. So we see a host of issues that individuals who might have uh, lower income or lower access to wealth will experience when it comes to getting to the abortion clinic. So it's not often that they are not sure it's that they have to get there. And then on top of that, there are um, policies in place in different states that make it harder to go forward with getting the abortion. Things like mandatory waiting times where you can go in once and then you have to then wait, I think it's sometimes 24 hours or 48 hours or a certain amount of time before you can actually have the procedure. And so again, this will compound the challenges financially if you um, have a hard time getting there to take time off of work, to provide childcare for other children, taking um, you know the transportation into account if it's somewhere far away. Of course, that's going to make it all the more difficult to to get there, uh, not just once, but then now get there twice if there's a mandatory waiting period. When again, most women, 
don't seem to um, need a lot of time. They've made their decision and they've considered the different reasons why it would make sense for them to do so. So uh, we also find uh, another finding was that women don't have a strong level of regret. Uh, something like one out of every 20 women who got an abortion had some level of regret at, at five years out. So about 5%. So it's a very low percentage of individuals have that experience of regret. That's one of the other reasons often cited for why uh, abortion should not be accessible is that it's going to hurt the mother. And then related to hurting the mother and related to what Justice Kennedy said about the consequences and the regret and how it could lead to mental health issues, what they found in the study was that there was no relationship between the outcome of the unwanted pregnancy and long-term mental health outcomes like depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, substance use, or post-traumatic stress. And so what they did find was women who were denied an abortion initially had more uh, anxiety and more mental health issues or mental health feelings, negative feelings, which we could understand they were just um, denied an abortion that they were wanting. But over time, they started to come back to where the women who were granted abortion, uh, their mental health, according to this study. And so we see no long-term negative effects or no negative effects for the women who received an abortion. So that's a big point because, again, this is sometimes used as a reason to not allow for abortions, that it's going to hurt the women who receive them in their mental health. And so what we do see when we compare the women who received an abortion and those who did not, um, another thing is physical health. So um, sometimes people think, well, abortions are bad for your physical health. One important point, this is another one that I'd heard so many times that I thought it was just true, um, is that there's no evidence that having an abortion is associated with greater chance of subsequent infertility. So this is something I've also heard is that if you have an abortion, it's harder to get pregnant later on. And this does not appear to be the case based on the data that was collected. Many of the women in the study who did receive an abortion did have children later on. And, and some of them were unintended, but many of them were intended pregnancies. So that's a big one because I'd heard that so many times before, um, or that it increases chances for cancer or other illnesses that does not um, bear in the data either. Um, another thing to consider when we look at health is people say, well, abortion is risky or dangerous. And so, of course, any medical procedure can have risks or does have risks. But we see that abortion is incredibly safe, of course, when it's done in, in a clinic with appropriate physicians and level of care. One of the reasons I think people have these associations with abortion is also because because of the denial of abortion to so many people, many throughout history and still have themselves tried to find a way to have that abortion. So you hear those stories that were happening, um, especially before, uh, very commonly where women were trying to get an abortion because they couldn't and because there was no access, they had to try to find other means. And of course, those are going to be dangerous. But the risks or the um, health effects of having a pregnancy and carrying out the term are also considerable and we have to take that into account. So for example, the risk of death is 14 times higher for birth than abortion. So you're more likely to die from childbirth than abortion and abortion uh, has a very low risk profile. So that's another um, argument I've heard before that abortion is very 
um, risky and has these very bad consequences for the, the health in that moment because it's risky and then future health and future fr- fertility. But that does not uh, appear to be the case at all. What we did see is women who were denied abortions tended to have financial challenges that they experienced compared to the women who received an abortion, and they never actually quite caught up. They never actually recovered, and they even did things like looking at credit scores, and we see these uh, effects over time. So financially, these women's lives are affected. We also see that their children, the ones who were denied abortion, if they had existing children, they um, were having a harder time to take care of them. And so remember, this was one of the concerns that women themselves expressed. So we see that they tend to take important issues into account, and they're not just worried about things that are not going to happen to them. One of the reasons that um, women said, 29% said the need to focus on other children. So they knew that they would be have a hard time taking care of the children they, they already had. Um, and so that's very important. So what we do see is there are several ways that the women who were denied abortion did more poorly than those who received an abortion. Also, women made plans that were more aspirational if they received an abortion versus those who were forced to carry, who were denied an abortion and forced to carry the baby to term. So they both had an equal rate in the achieving the plans that they set out when they asked them every six months about those plans going forward, but they found that the ones who were denied an abortion set less aspirational plans, whereas those who were um, given an abortion that they wanted were allowed or they allowed themselves, it seemed, to plan more aspirationally, professionally, educationally, personally, and what they were going to do. We also find that forcing the mother to keep the child does not seem to improve their relationship Um, status or relationship future. That's another thing we sometimes hear, that if you um, have the woman keep the baby, that then they're going to have better relationships or be married, stay married, or get married with that partner. Unfortunately, often the situation in women who are seeking abortion, they are not in a good relationship to begin with. And what they found was that it didn't matter if they got the abortion or not, how long they really would stay with that person. It didn't make that much of an impact, but they were more likely to be in unhealthy relationship situations. Oftentimes, let's say if they are with an abusive, toxic partner and they have a child with that individual, they have to have that individual in their life or tend to have that person in their life more when they have a child together, even if they're no longer in a relationship together. And so this exposes them to more negative relational types of things. So what we see is that the um, effects to those women who receive an abortion seem to be not negative. There aren't the things that we worried about, this negative effect on their mental health, uh, the regret, which might lead to the presumed negative mental health outcomes. From physical health, they are doing better than the women who have to carry the birth to term. This is over several years, over the five years of the study, we see this. Uh, financially, they are they are doing better, and in so many ways, and we don't see them doing worse in any ways, which is really important. So when we look at the abortion debate, as I mentioned to start the show, there's, of course, uh, issues related to philosophy and what does it mean and when does life begin that are relevant to a degree, but at the same time when the government is making decisions about who to um, or how to create these policies, what we have to look at is the people that are affected by them, what's happening, even if we're 
quote-unquote pro-life, what's happening to the life that's already here, the children and the women who are going through this. We have to also weigh those into account. And also we want to make sure any decisions we're making based on anything, but especially something as significant as this, is looking or using data to understand what's happening, what are the consequences, what are we um, presuming will happen if we make certain decisions or make things a certain way. And up until now, we haven't done that, and now we do have the data. Sadly, I think because these issues, like many issues, people already have their mind made up. They don't get that persuaded by data. I think oftentimes people will ignore the data they don't agree with or find a way to interpret it in a way that makes them feel like, what they think is is correct and just reinforce what they believe. But I do hope especially those making policies, the justices and individuals who have that will at least take it into account to some degree. And to me, what I experienced in reading this book, um, it's always a nice experience for me because when I read the book, it's like I take a deep dive throughout that week, week plus sometimes of being in a topic or an issue. So this whole you know, week plus I got to look at these issues related to abortion, what the women go through. Of course, as a man, I can never know what that is like, but um, it was very eye-opening to me and made me uh, try to understand the situation even better because I know it's something that I still don't understand fully, but have more of an understanding through reading this book. Um, and I think it's very clear that abortion care is part of health care, and we have to have that and to make it into this situation where we make it harder for people to access health care in any way. I think it's for all people. This is something that I actually feel very badly about, about the United States, that we don't have universal health care where everyone has access to the health care they need, no matter what, that we have to make that a reality. Um, but abortion rights or abortion care is a big part of that. All of the prenatal type of care that people experience. There are real medical issues that come up, but it shouldn't be just the medical issues that I think deny someone or give someone the right to an abortion. As we see in this book and the research, it's affecting people's lives in, in quite significant ways. So uh, this book is a great, great way to inform yourself more about the abortion issue, something that is very much um, a hot topic and something that we need to inform ourselves about. We all have opinions no matter what. We always feel something about something and make a decision based on that. But I think it's always important to inform ourselves more, to try to come to a more informed conclusion and decision about a different uh, a variety of issues, and abortion is one of those. So I hope you will read this book, a very important book for us all to read, The Turnaway Study by Diana Green Foster. The Turnaway Study, 10 Years, a 1,000 Women, and the Consequences of Having or Being Denied an abortion. Let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, hello. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, um, thank you for your program. Um, uh, if, 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 if you don't mind, I'd like to... Uh, um, comment on the first part of your program sure. talking about the uh, uh, abortion and I think related to that is unwanted pr pregnancy mm -hmm. and unwanted children so um, one um, one movie I saw was called uh, The Turtles Can Fly it's, a, it's an Iranian 
movie, but it is the the language is Kurdish, so I I think even Persians have to have to um, uh, see, um, see it with with, um, with subtitle. But the the movie is about a 13 year old girl who has a child, um, and the child is a result of a raping by by soldiers who attacked their, their village and the uh, the child is maybe a year or two old and the the girl lives with his brother who's lost his arms cleaning uh, cleaning mines mm. so it's a very tragic movie about the life in that in that region life of children's life in that region but one of the things that i think is 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 a very um a big factor in 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 these cases abortion and uh unwanted pregnancy is the child itself you know the child what the child goes through you know after being born as an unwanted child and uh this girl in 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 was suicidal and um it was a trauma for for his for her brother who was taking care of him and um not only that he wanted to 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 get rid of the child so it's a it's a very mixed and and contradicting conflicting feeling in in the girl being a mother who mm-hmm. by nature must love the child but the way the child was basically born was traumatic to her and for that reason she left the child on the slopes of mountain hoping that hoping that maybe it's an animals would eat the, the child or 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 somehow the child is killed it was very very tragic it sounds like uh, very dark dark movie yeah. Um, oh, oh yeah, it's it's yeah it's when that was happening in the movie, you know, my heart was pounding. It was like, mm-hmm. what is she doing? How how is she getting rid of the child? And his brother didn't know. So it's basically a very very, and the movie has no no background music. It makes them it, it makes it connect to the movie better. Yeah. So uh, what what was the name yeah. of the what was the name of the movie? The turtles can fly. I see. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, that's a very uh, tragic uh, story. Very intense. It's very unique. Of course, it, I think you're right. It's important to look at the experience of the children who are born in these situations. These are very uh, complex philosophical issues because when we, someone is then born, now the life is there, or we we see the individual. It's very different than when we imagine they're not there because once they're there, we we treat the situation differently always that's going to be the case but um you know the study that i was talking about looked at also these outcomes of what happens and even the maternal bonding to the child in these situations tended to not be as good as when the women wanted the pregnancy which is not such a surprise you would say but of course we always want to look at at the data so yeah i mean you know th- these um policies and rules that we come up with as i mentioned we need to look at the lived experiences of the the individuals affected by the policies always but sometimes when we look at it just in an abstract way we miss the 
uh, actual experiences, the people that will be affected and impacted, including the mother, the child that will be born in this situation, and also if there are any existing children, as I mentioned in the book, which is often the case. So, um, yeah, that sounds like a very heavy movie, but looking at the consequences of what happens in, the, in these situations. I don't know if you had a comment on the movie itself or just wanted to share about it. And and okay. now to to my question, um, um, I would like to know uh, the effectivity. You know, I, I was listening to one of your dad sessions, and um, um, he was uh, talking to a lady who's who had a addicted uh, child, and basically he mentioned that to to recover or to help your child is is better you take him to a full assessment like a biofeedback and and uh, basically well biofeedback's um, not a full assessment necessarily i mean it could be part of uh-huh. but yeah okay but basically so so following that uh, you know we we have a I, I cannot call my son addicted but he uses marijuana occasionally and um for that reason, um, we thought that um, we do we take him to a biofeedback. He he had a cup he had a couple of uh, psychologists working with him, and in the past, and basically it was not fruitful. So okay. um, well, let me let me stop you there for a second. So, how old is your son? 17. 17. Now, does he want to... St- is, are you saying you want him to stop smoking marijuana? Yeah. Does he want to stop? He has stopped a few times. Okay. Several times. But he has come back. Okay, but has he expressed he wants to stop completely or what? what? He has not expressed that decision to us. Okay. But... We, we, it, it, it's our observation. Okay. Because, I mean, that's yeah, going to be the... A few times. Yeah. yeah. The most important thing is um, it, it, what's his desire. You know, if we want to stop yeah. any kind of behavior, it, it's hard anyway. But if we don't want it, obviously, you know, it's not going to happen. And so maybe he doesn't want to stop or he has a mixed feeling. It seems like you're very clear you want him to stop. But um, we do want to make sure it's what he wants or what he thinks is important. And if he's smoking just here and there, um, I'm not so concerned about that. If it's a not regular or not impacting his life negatively, I wouldn't make that such a concern. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but basically, the, the 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 problem with that is that he was he's been. Um, he's been a very good student. Mm-hmm. Is on on you know um, um, he was he was and still is you know uh, playing soccer. Uh huh. But but the, the 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 what I learned is that marijuana affects negatively affects your your motivations and. So he's he's now he's he's late days to school, missing school days and missing soccer practices and games have have gone up significantly since he started. Okay. So it's basically the other problem we have with 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 that that he's he's losing his his motivations to towards doing uh, the things that 
he needs to do at this age. Okay, so I would, you know, it, it's possible the marijuana is 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 I mean, causing even we could say, but it's also very possible there's a lot more going on than just that. And even if it is the marijuana, has he been feeling bad in general or something going on where you're saying he's missing things, being less responsible or, you know, meeting his own um, his own possibly expectations for himself. So I would make it less about the marijuana and more about how is he doing in general mm-hmm. and not assume the marijuana is the cause. And if we take that out, then everything's going to be okay. So I would approach it more of in a holistic sense of like, What's going on with him? How is he doing? You know, is he going through anything else, mental health related, depression, anxiety, that can be uh, connected to what he's going through? But I wouldn't make the marijuana the the focus. Okay, so based on that decision, we took him to to buy a feedback session, two buy a feedback sessions in the past week. Okay, and they came up with so called the a brain map and they they kind of presented that to my son and my wife that that were there at the time and I didn't know they would share it with parents otherwise I would be there as well but um, basically they showed they basically showed him that he has regions of the brain so um, they said from processing um, the processing part of brain is super active and in very good shape mm-hmm. but the information collection part and the uh, is is not is is not is maybe 70 percent uh, um, of capacity and um, the they also showed signs of anxiety and and depression okay and apparently it's something that they can see on those graphs but i you know they know how to translate it mm-hmm. so so and they um they have you know subscribed uh, 80 something sessions of uh of um, neurofeedback sessions or i don't know some kind of therapy sessions that i don't know how you know if it is going to be similar to these past two sessions or it's or or if it's going to be i don't know a different type of therapy but if it is based on biofeedback i'm just wondering how effective it is compared to cbt and other methods so if 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 you could maybe shed a light on on the on the and the and the effect, effectivity of such methods with these problems, I would appreciate that. Sure. Well, the first part always is going to be we have to know what the issue and issues are. I know they gave some um, feedback based on the I guess brain scans or whatever they might have done, but also related to that, what are the goals of treatment? And so I, I haven't heard from you exactly what your son wants um, in all this. Like what, and, and even in these appointments, is he? asking for them or are you making them for him and taking him but he doesn't want to go so it's important for me is when we're looking at treatment is well what's the problem and then what's the goal because once if we don't know that then um, we really can't come up with uh, a treatment plan so has he said he wants yeah we wanted to make sure that he's not he doesn't have ADHD and that was the case he didn't they should they said that it's it's ruled out okay 
and um, we also wanted to see the severity of if if there's any depression if there if we wanted to know and we knew there would be some component of depression based on the discussions with the previous two uh, counselors that uh, he worked with and um, and we wanted to know the severity and it's not a highly severe um, case apparently but we know that there are components of um, anxiety and depression and back to your question how he is how serious he is in in participating mm-hmm. um, I cannot comment on that maybe it was more driven by us for him to let you know it's just yeah. encouraging him let's go have your have your you know brain you know tested and see if there are things that you that are basically hindering you from 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 uh, having a happy normal or I don't know well but see this is I think to me that's that he yeah, yeah. But I, I think that's more important than the um, whatever we decide to do that that conversation is more important than any of these other things how are you doing? How, what's going on for you? What do you think? If he s- says he's okay and we tell him he's not okay, that's not even a good starting point. So that conversation is more important than where are we going to take him? What's going on? Is he okay? He smokes weed sometimes. I don't think that's a big deal, um, but you might. But what? how is he doing? You know, even when we say, if you know, not being normal or not being this or not being that, he has to tell us how he's feeling. You can't tell him he's happy or sad or you know whatever it is so what i'm feeling from you and the way you even described it up into this point is there's this way that it's more about you and his mom's thinking than his thinking and experience and that to me is is problematic mm-hmm. yes you are you are right in that perspective and the um the 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 um i think he's in in his Sweet days with our most, you know, as I said, most of our concern went into his use of marijuana. Okay. And, but again, if that's not his concern, uh, we're going to be in a bad story. Let me stop you there for a second because we're already past the commercial break, and I want to give us some time to to get more into this aspect about you and him and okay. and, and the conversation. So we're going to put you in hold, and we'll talk after the break. Okay. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we're with the caller. Let's go back to them now. Caller, are you still there? Hello? Yes. Yes, hi. All right. So before the break, we were talking about your son. He's 17. And before the break, I was talking about how I I think it's so important that he be very much involved in what's going on here and making sure we ask him how he's doing, what he wants, if he's concerned about anything, all of those things. So tell me what are, what are, if any, the conversations that you had with him about how he's doing? So, um, you know, this is, we've gone through different phases and levels of um, discussions with him about this. Mm -hmm. And I remember that in, in one of our cases he mentioned that he 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 said that you you guys don't care about my mental health so although we did but that was his impression but Hmm. basically we were we were um so what what did you respond to, to that um we told him that we have done whatever 
has been in our power to uh, to help you with the with, with your mental health. Okay, but did you ask him what he meant by you don't care? Uh, no. Okay, so this is what Not I mean is like remember. creating, you know, uh-huh. when we're talking about, you know, the the image I had during the commercial break was like, you're telling me I want to make sure my son is hot or cold. And then I look at him, I think he might be, you know, cold. So we took him to the jacket store and we just took him there and then they're making a jacket for him. And then the next day I thought he was maybe kind of sweating if I looked at his head. So I took him to the short store and they're going to make him shorts that they're going to fit to him and bring home. And it seems like we're doing all these things for him, but we're not asking him, are you hot? Are you cold? What's your temperature like? What do you want? We're telling him or trying to fix the problems that we don't even know what's a problem, what's not a problem. So when we're talking about what I'm hearing when he says you don't care about my mental health is it could be some of this that we're not asking him how he's feeling, how he's doing, how does he like what we're doing, not just about finding him services, just in our relationship with him, what we do, what we don't do, how we talk to him, how we interact with him. So that's what I'm hearing more than, you know, anything is that you might not be giving um, that kind of attention to his emotional experience, not just mental health as a what providers are we using or what type of uh-huh. you know services have we got him mm-hmm. the the yeah the thing is that he basically is not motivated much to go after um, his own mental mental health but what does that even mean to go after? Basically, to care, you know, whenever we offer him something, for example, I offer him to go to go out, to go, you know, biking, mm-hmm. you know, kayaking, sport fields, jogging. He normally refuses, so I know that this is something that he needs to he needs to have to basically get out of his shell, if that's the right term basically to get get active get some fresh air and uh and also making new friends we we try to to uh create the 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 the, the environment where he can make new friends mm-hmm. but he he normally doesn't and those are those are the stuff that we have been trying to do and also you know, we a lot of times we ask him to come out with us. Sometimes he refuses. Sometimes he does. Mm-hmm. So these are the these are the things that we we could do on the non-medical side or non-professional side to help him with his anxiety and depression. But there, there, those are things, and they're not bad things to go outside and uh-huh. to move. But again, it's uh, the next questions I want to look at is your relationship with him, because what you know when we're looking at his mental health. I know we're looking at the exercise helps, friends help, therapy helps, which is true. But it's also yeah. our relationships are the most important thing when we look at our overall well being. What's your relationship yeah. with him like? Yeah. Can he share his feelings with you and yeah. open up with you? So let's look at that what part. I have, yeah. What I have learned from his um, discussions is that you know when when you know we, he was born when we were newcomers, mm-hmm. and for that reason, he he feels um, being neglected, and it was true. We were mm-hmm. newcomers, you know, so much focus on adapting to the new life. Sure. 
so that that we 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 don't uh, we don't uh, we take responsibility of of that neglect. Mm-hmm. And I have even personally myself told him that I know of that component, and I'm sorry that that I couldn't have I couldn't do better. Hmm. So I've even apologized to him about that. Well, that's that's not that. We were, we were yeah. Working and yeah. Sure. Well, it seems so, circumstantial. This is what I could do. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, most people don't do that, recognizing, you know, yeah, it was. It seems like a lot of it was the circumstances, but still acknowledging his experience that you couldn't be there for him the way he needed you. And is he the only child? No. Okay. We have two kids after him. Okay, that they were both born, all three were born in the United yes. States. Okay, yes. and how old, what's the age difference there? How old are they? 15 and 12. Okay, so pretty close to him in age two and five years. Okay, um, yes. so he has shared that, that you he felt that you guys neglected him or didn't give him the attention he needed as a child. He he, he doesn't call it neglect. Yeah. He, he says that, you know, dad was busy with his job, mom was busy with his job, I was, you know, I was home, you know, all alone, and I had nobody to to basically play with, I had, I had nobody to tell me how things work, how to do things, and basically he was, he was not talking, he was not telling this to us, he was talking to uh, her sister, his sister, mm-hmm. saying that... He didn't have, so this is kind of what we learned from that discussion with him. So he doesn't blame us for that, and because he also says that because they were working, they were trying to provide a life for us. He was basically at, um, he was preaching um, my daughter to be more serious about school and basically taking life more serious and not waste time and all these things. So that's what, with that dis- during that discussion, he said that, you know, he suffered from the the uh, the, the, the neglect that he 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 received. Okay. During those hard days. Okay, got it. So I mean, as I said, that you acknowledged and, and gave him an apology for that, I think, is important and can be very valuable. Um, I've done that several times. Okay. That, you know, I know I make mistakes too. I, I don't. I'm not yeah. defending. You know, I'm not saying that I'm that I'm perfect. But I make. You know, we make this, we make wrong decisions. We make right decisions, and even the wrong decisions, we may think that at the time they are right. So I know sure. that we have made wrong decisions. But at the time, we thought that this this is the best decision. Sure. Okay. That is important that you had that conversation. Um, but what I would also say is now looking at right now when you're taking him to these different doctors, professionals, treatment centers, whatever they might be, is important to, again, ask him how he's doing. So I, I think you can have a conversation if you haven't already of, you know, I know we've taken you or it seems like already there's this treatment plan in place. But asking him and recognizing that I don't know if we really asked you so much, what do you want or what do you want to do and how are you even doing right now? You know, because sure, will, that's yeah, important will, to me, like, because he might be that. okay, or maybe he's really not okay. Um, and like I said, the marijuana is probably not what is our issue. It's more how is he doing, how is he feeling. When you tell me he's, you know, missing, he right now I'm assuming he's on summer, but you said you saw a change in, you know, missing classes, missing practices, games. How significant was that? What was going on? Um, in the mornings. He didn't want to wake up 
Okay. And uh, when he, you know, when, when the alarm went off or when he wake, you know, woke him up for going to school, he said he's tired. He doesn't want to go to school. It's not that, that class is not important. That teacher is, you know, found. You know, basically, he, he had he had his own reasons for not wanting to go to school. Okay. So and for practices, you know, he he said that last last. Um, year the team was good this year the team there's been some changes in his team but i don't think it is significant and i'm talking if the team is not your level if you think that you're higher than your team level you can go and evaluate you know but in the even in the evaluation he didn't he was not assigned to a higher team mm -hmm. so um basically but he says that his team are not performing well and they have okay. so many failures and he doesn't want to... So what happened? He quit the team or he was just like not as motivated to go to things? No, the, 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 yeah, the, we, we think that these are excuses not to go to game. So we, we know that the, there's a component of, there's a component of attachment. First of all, like many of kids they, his age, you know, attachment to their chronics and the, we know that the, there's also this, this um, maybe the marijuana use has, has basically that has impacted his motivations. Okay. Because it's what I've learned is that marijuana is, you know, is reduces people's motivations toward doing things. It's it can. It definitely, I mean, yeah. it depends on how much though. I mean, if he's smoking like here and there, then probably not. If he's smoking it daily or, you know, almost every day or that, that it can. But again, I wouldn't look at that, the marijuana as much as how is he doing overall. If you're saying, you know, that was his ex reasons, let's say, for for soccer. But you're saying school, he doesn't want to go or, yeah, you know, I, I've heard a lot of the excuses. This teacher doesn't teach or this class isn't good or, you know, a variety of things that they might say but it seems like something's going on so i'd want to look at how is he doing overall it seems like something and was this changed this just this last year or when was it it was mostly mostly last year and that's where we noticed that the 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 you you know the, the use of marijuana was yeah was but kind of, but i i just uh, want you to notice that every obvious to us yeah. i know but every question that comes up you go back to the, the marijuana what if your son is depressed first and then not the marijuana made him depressed you know so I, I what i'm saying is whatever i bring up you go back to the marijuana use as the as like the you know so important and it could be i don't know the whole situation but i'm just hearing it as the reason for everything where again even let's say he's smoking it could be because he was feeling more depressed and now he's using or it could just be something he does recreationally that doesn't have much of an impact but i'm curious more about how he's doing and i get the sense again it's like you're seeing a problem and trying to fix it without talking to the person who's experiencing the problem mm -hmm. you know he has mm -hmm. to tell us what's yeah. going on not we're going to take him to biofeedback and they're going to fix him or something that's not going to happen mm -hmm. you know uh -huh. um uh -huh. he has to we have to talk to him mo the most and uh, even i would bring it up to him that we have not included you enough in this or realize what you want or what you're feeling because i get the sense he's just going partially because you're making these appointments and he's just going um you know it's not just making the appointment and and asking him to come with us it's, it, it, we've had some preparation discussions with him but but I think I, I will but what does that mean I, I will, what's a will, but what's a preparation discussion mean um, 
we told him about the 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 that the the um lack of motivation that he he has recently had and we we told him that uh, we've talked to a couple of people and it 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 seems like you know you, you, we we want you to go to to this uh, to this session to yeah so i mean but but that's not his decision then you made it so you're informing him of the decision he didn't come forward and ask for help. Right, but I mean, not. I, I but even further than that, he wasn't even part of the process. He made a decision and then just informed him, "You're going to go see this doctor." You know that. That's what I mean. That's different than, "Hey, we're. I've noticed you're less motivated. How are you doing? Yeah. Let's talk about it. Are you okay?" Mm-hmm. And then he says, "I'm okay," or "I'm not," or whatever it is. And then, would you like to see someone? What do you think about talking to someone? Or you know, so that's yeah, what I feel is missing. Is yeah. that it's just I don't. Yeah. I don't think we no. We didn't approach it this way, and I I I think that the the way you approach it is 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 or do you you recommend is is the, is the right is the right method. So, although most of this has been you know most of the discussion was done by by my wife, so I don't know uh-huh. the, the the extent of the um, discussions before before going there. Yeah. So I cannot comment on that, uh, but. Um, but I, 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 I take your point, and yes, I will for sure. Yeah, it's just, your, of your, course, you care about his mental health, you care about his well-being, you want to help him, of course, and that's wonderful, and trying to find the help. Yes. Uh, we just want to make sure we include a, the most important person, all this him, in all of the decision-making, even if he was much younger, I would say this, but especially at 17. So he's part of the whole process, not just, you know, he's going to come along because even if he does go to therapy or go to some kind of treatment, if he's not motivated for that, it's not just some magic fix. You know, it's like you, you want someone to exercise, you can drop them off at the gym, but if they don't want to work out, they just won't work out and they'll, you know, they'll walk out of the no. gym. So we want to get him involved first also, not just about his treatment, but also in the relationship side to recognize when we look at his mental health don't think of it as i have to get him to do the things and take him to the therapies that help him that is part of it if he wants it but more important in your role is also going to be as his father having a relationship with him where we would hope you know he could talk to you about his feelings what he's going through what's happening and he might not do that so much if he hasn't already and now at this age but it's something to move in that direction one one thing i i i i I need to add here was that I, you know we knew that um, um, his uh, use of marijuana could have affected his his uh, frontal lobe cortex, and I wanted him to basically see that in and apparently in the biofeedback the the doctor has shown him that these parts have been affected by smoking. So um, we wanted him to have a visual and independent, uh, independent um, indication of the of the damage, okay. so that he's more motivated to 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 basically take it take take an action and basically. Uh, do something about his own yeah. his own mental health. But you know, so but, but our, I but our, our goal was to motivate him to eliminate the roadblocks to his motivation. Sure, but I, I still feel like it's it's very much you're making the decisions for him rather than uh-huh. having him be part of the process. Uh-huh. You know, yes, because it's more more of more of our decision than, than yeah. or basically our motive of us right and him than than he 
coming forward. And even the way you said that, I, I don't know if you were about to say the word motivation, but that's the thing is that if it's a f- coming from your motivation, you're not even going to cultivate his motivation of making decisions for himself and going forward. We're going to tell you to go here, go here, go here, go here, but we want you to be super motivated in your own life. It's not going to happen. We have to show him that his life is his life a lot more, meaning that, and, yeah. yeah. Now, coming back to the original question that I asked you about the effectivity of this method compared to other methods like CBT or or basically uh, uh, other therapies. So if, if this, this process, the way they have laid out the, the basically treatment plan for us is, is costing us a lot. So like, I don't know, $40,000 or something like that for the whole sessions. And uh, it's, it's gonna be, a, it's gonna be, and it's not covered by our insurance yeah. or fully covered by our insurance. Part of that maybe just 5,000 is covered. So, and so we would like to have a, we would like to have a, even now the motivation and his side, his, his engagement into the, into the, um, or his willingness to, to, to engage in the, in the treatment alone, in, in, by the, by the, by the, if we want to kind of, um, rank the, 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 mm-hmm treatment itself would that be would you and basically on the other side of the scale having the financial and and you know it's it's not even close to us you know we need to drive a lot so i mean i don't it's hard for me to comment on this i don't know enough about it to tell you that this place is the right place for you um what i think is so important is that he's part of making this decision that if he doesn't want to go to this place and then you take him, it doesn't matter if it's $10 million, it's not going to help him. So we have to find the thing he wants and what he wants to do. Because he's going to turn 18 at some point too, I don't know when that is, but he's going to make, you know, he'll have the legal decision making even more. But before that, I want it to be a legal thing, I want it to be, we approach him about his life. So I don't know this biofeedback exactly even what this treatment center does uh, 80 sessions seems like a lot but you know therapy does tend to be a long-term thing anyway when it's therapy but uh, i don't i I'm, I'm just concerned about sending him to a treatment that i'm not sure he is the one wanting to go there isn't this we're going to send our son to this place and they're going to fix him i don't look at it that way even in our quick talk before the show you almost said the word cure before we came on the air and then you stopped yourself um that's my concern is that you're thinking we're going to take him there they're going to fix him he's going to come home super motivated it's just not that's not the what's going to happen so if that's the hope i wouldn't go there i really really emphasize how much more he has to be part of all of this process in making it so it's i can't tell you cbt will be better for him than than this place or vice versa or that it's worth the price Um, but i would just emphasize how much we have to include him in this Mm-hmm. Okay, I think okay. I got the answers to my question. I appreciate your time. Appreciate your time. And, nice uh, talking to you. you. Yeah. Nice talking to you, too. All right, take okay, care. Bye-bye. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi, how are you doing, sir? Good, thanks. Thanks for calling. I just want to ask about my seven years old. He's a little bit shy. For example, if a relative, close relative, like her aunt calls, uh, want to talk to him from out of the state, 
he doesn't want to call. He doesn't want to. I show, uh, you know, I show him in video from my cell phone. Mm -hmm. I can you uh, help me with that, please? I mean, I don't think that's that uncommon to not want to talk. I mean, how how close is he with these individuals, these family members? Like uh, her aunt. No, I, I know. I know you're saying, but like relationally, but does he have a close relationship with them? Yeah, he has a close relationship. He didn't see him, her too much because he's uh, uh, she's in another state. Yeah, but uh, but she loves her, and sometimes she she come and stay with us. Sometimes, like for vacation, something like that. Okay, so I mean, they're not. But, I mean, but I'll be from what you're telling me, they're not that close. I know she loves him. I'm sure she loves him. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that, but it's like there's not this very close connection that we should expect as soon as, you know, they come on, you know, he wants to talk. Now, is he anxious or shy or other things? Possibly, but I don't see a big, you know, I don't think it's weird. Whatever the age, people usually don't like to also in a forced conversation or you're talking. And this is a, a pretty classic for lots of families, but I've seen a lot of Persian families where they say, oh, you know, the family members on the phone talk to them. And there, there's this confusion as to why they don't want to talk to them. If I said, here's some person that you don't know that well, just video with them, even if they're family member, you probably don't want to do it, and especially at a seven-year-old. So I don't expect him, and I wouldn't want you to keep putting a pressure on him to want to have these kind of conversations. Yes, but I just wanted that, you know, he, he just uh, had good communication when he... Uh, grow up because you know everything is with good communication of course but a part but a, a big part of good communication is that we only have the conversations that we feel comfortable having and so we also want to teach him that that if he doesn't want to talk to someone he shouldn't be forced to or if he doesn't like how the conversation is he shouldn't be forced to have that conversation that's also part of of communication yeah, but what about the socializing? Sure, but what I mean, does he not like talking to his? Does he not talk to his friends when he sees them? Yeah, he talks to. His okay, friends. so those are the conversations he wants to have. So you're saying why doesn't he want to have the conversations he doesn't want to have? I mean, he doesn't want to have them, and we might think, well, it's his aunt, and the aunt loves him. I understand. I'm not saying the aunt doesn't love him and doesn't want to talk to him, but he doesn't want to talk to them necessarily. Just like sometimes. The aunt or uncle or family member wants to hug or kiss the kid, but the child might not want that. And we actually should promote the child's autonomy to make that decision for themselves, that I don't want to hug or kiss right now, or or to hug or kiss you. But sometimes we put that pressure, oh, it's your uncle, it's your aunt, or it's this or that, or they love you, so you have to hug or kiss them. That's not giving a child a good message about their own autonomy and control over their life, or that they are allowed to listen to their feeling uh, and not just give in to the other person's feeling. Yeah, but how I can, you know, I just, how I I can help her, help him that be more socialized. And, you know, because, as I mentioned, it's very important to be socialized and have a good communication with the Sure. People. Well, what's his, social, what's his social life like with his friends and, and with his classmates? Um, I, I don't know at his school, but he has a couple of friends. I don't know what he's doing at the school. I'm not there, but yeah. he has a couple of friends. 
Okay. And, but the teachers have never told you anything. They're worried about him. Because from what I'm getting from you, his social life seems okay. And you're saying communication skills, are you worried about that? But talking to adults that out of the blue, you know, I don't know how you're even having these conversations. Sometimes it's like, okay, you're talking to your sister, let's say. And then you say, oh, come talk, come talk to your, your aunt. And he's doing something else or he's in the middle of something. It's not that he should necessarily just drop everything to want to have the conversation you and your sister want to have at that moment or that that should yeah, be expected. No. Yeah, no, the teacher didn't say anything. He's, they say always he's a good kid. Okay. But the thing is, yeah, but the thing is, you know, even he's not doing anything. He doesn't want to talk to him. And when I say, oh, no, I don't want to talk to him. Or even to, I don't know, other, maybe they, they're not too close, as you mentioned. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't expect him to. I mean, I would actually say if you want him to, you know be better at communicating we want to really make him feel okay as he is don't make him feel bad about this that he doesn't want to talk to his aunt or uncle randomly on the phone facetime you know especially kids they don't really do those things anyway at that age but still like most people even 20 year olds i see this happening in families that they say oh your aunt is calling from iran or your uncle's calling from here and they have to talk to them and you know I don't get surprised when they say they don't want to have that conversation. So I wouldn't take this to mean he's a bad communicator or he's going to have issues communicating. And especially I wouldn't want you to make him feel that way, that he's doing something wrong or he's a problem. I would really want you to respect what he says to you. I don't want to talk right now, mom. Okay. And if you want them to talk to, you know, with his aunt, you can have other conversations. Say, would you like to say hello to your aunt later today or at some time you plan it with him? rather than just call and expect him to, to be excited to talk to her or want to talk. A lot of kids that age don't feel comfortable. As I said, even older, whatever age they might not like it, especially that age, I'm not that surprised. So I wouldn't want you to make this into an issue or make him feel um, bad, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for, like, uh, talking about that. Sure. Because, yeah. He's a good kid. I'm sure he is. Everybody says he's a good kid, but as you mentioned, I shouldn't force him. Yeah, the forcing is one of the biggest things we do in families is we think we have to yeah. make people do this, do that. <laughs> yeah, Persians were very talented at it. Yeah, we're really good at it. You know, I mean... It's it's like I said, it's not just seven-year-olds. I see with 27-year-olds and 37-year-olds still being forced to have conversations they don't yeah. want to have. And like I said, what I'd want you to teach your child is your feeling really matters in your communication. If you don't want to talk to someone that doesn't, you know, that makes you feel uncomfortable or something, you're allowed to listen to that, not you have to talk because they want to talk. Now, of course, in life, we sometimes have conversations we don't want to have, and, you know, that does happen, but that's in a different kind of area. But in these areas, I would want you to make him feel more okay with how he feels, not that you should want this conversation, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. And the other thing, how, uh, this is like a general, how we can bring the like self-esteem sure well what well this is a thing related to what we're saying is the most important thing is making him feel okay with how he feels so he says i don't want to talk and if you say no you should why don't you that's not going to help his self-esteem
Now, you might be thinking, I want him to be so confident that I say, here's someone on the phone, and he says, oh, hello, how are you doing, and has a whole conversation with them. Maybe in your mind that's confidence or self-esteem. But what you want to do more than anything is let him feel that what he feels is right. Oh, you, you don't like this conversation? Okay. I can understand that that's how you feel. So show him you understand and care about his feelings and that what he feels is okay and good. That's going to be more important than trying to get him to see something or feel something. So it relates to the same theme that he doesn't like something we or he feels sad, he feels angry, he feels whatever the emotion is. We give him the feeling that that's an okay emotion to have. That's an okay way for him to feel. Uh, rather than try to change that. So that pressure and pushing is only going to push him down. It's not going to push him up. So if you're concerned or thinking about his self-esteem, I would want you to think about how you might be pushing him down rather than pushing him up and try to control or force him to feel something is only going to make him feel worse about himself, not better. Yeah, but for example, if he comes from a school and doesn't want to wash his hands, should I say okay? No, you can still, you know, those are, are tougher ones where you can say the way I, you know, we put it sometimes is you say yes to the feeling, but you might say no to the behavior or the request. So you can say, I understand you don't want to wash your hands right now. Let's say he wants to play or do something, but you know that when we come home first, we always have to wash our hands. So you still show him you understand where he's coming from. Just like a lot of us, we, you know, so I should be like, oh, you know, I'm tired. I don't want to brush my teeth before I go to bed. You might still say, okay. I get it. You're so tired. You don't want to brush your teeth. but And this is even a conversation we might have with ourselves. But I need to make sure I brush my teeth before I go to sleep because I don't want to you know, have negative consequences from that. So you still show him you hear his feeling, you understand him, you care about what he's going through, but you still might say no to him about things or say, you know, I know you don't want to wash your hands or you don't feel like it right now, but this is something we always have to do. Yeah, and then... Uh, yeah, thank you. Sure. And I was thinking, uh, what about the sex? How we can talk about the sex to the like kids? I know at the school they're going to teach them. Yeah, at school they school. do usually like I don't know what grade it's fourth grade, fifth grade, Nine sixth grade. Yeah, yeah. So Dif- well, the, fifth grade, something like that. Yeah, the thing is, you know, with any topic really when we're especially we're discussing with kids we can talk about anything essentially but age appropriate so at his age of seven you don't need to get into details of sex and sexual intercourse and those things but it could be relevant to things like you know when we're talking about having these conversations his body and that he's allowed to if he doesn't like how someone is going to touch him or touching him, he never has to allow for that. He never should touch someone in a way that they don't like, or if they don't like it, we, we stop. We don't touch someone in a way they don't like. So it could start with looking at his body, but at this age, I wouldn't say it's seven. You, you can have that conversation. That's important even from a younger age, but you don't need to bring up sex. If he asks you about it, you can respond in ways that are more concerned with his age too so you don't again need to get to too much details but you don't want to ignore if he asks um Mm -hmm. but i wouldn't say at seven you need to bring up sex to him in any way yeah but uh, for example if uh, her uh, his classmates like she's a girl like draw a picture and like a heart and say i love you yeah well that's not necessarily sex I mean, that might be, we might think as a romantic relationship that has obviously related to sex, but you know, some people like each other or have feelings that they love each other or want to be close to each other. 
And so sometimes they draw a heart to, or they say, I love you when they feel that way, you know? So these, you know, I understand that you have concerns because these are hard, you know, kids are going to ask you questions that you won't have all the answers to because these are not easy things to talk about they catch you off guard uh it's okay you're not gonna have all the answers and even sometimes he might ask you something you can give him part of the answer and also say you know what i need to think about it a little bit more and maybe we're going to talk about it later so don't put the pressure on yourself to have a perfect answer for him or you have to convince him of something or that he's just curious yeah he heard something oh i saw someone drew a heart or i heard someone said they got married or i heard someone you know and you just stay with him. The important thing is also don't think you have to tell him everything. Also ask him, like, oh, what do you what do you know about that? Or what do you think about that? So make it a conversation. It doesn't have to be some lecture where you're going to solve it for him. Um, but these things are going to come up. And I know you're asking me, hoping I can tell you. But there's no one that can tell you every answer to all the questions. Just like you can't answer all his questions. I can't tell you everything you're ever going to have to answer to him. But just trust in yourself. Be patient. Don't feel like you have to fix everything he asks or give him a perfect answer. A lot of these things are are difficult to answer. And think of it more of a conversation rather than he asks you to give an answer. You know, it's something you can talk about with him. Um, I do have to go to another commercial break. So if you don't mind, maybe we can wrap up the conversation. But it seems like your, your son is okay. I would say don't put that pressure on him to be something he doesn't want to be or do something he doesn't want to do. And, and wish you all the best. Thanks for your call. Thank you. Have a nice day go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So just have a few minutes to, to wrap up the show. And the book today was on, as I mentioned, a very hot topic, hot button issue that brings up a lot of emotions because we're dealing with important things, people's lives, life, um, the well-being of individuals, autonomy over one's right, the decision to make, uh, the decisions or the, the choice about your own life, all very important things. I will say this, that I think these are very important issues that we talk about. My position, although I didn't state it as clearly as I will say now, or I did say it, I think, earlier, but is that I think we should give women the choice and that making it a legal issue itself can be uh, concerning. It should be more considered a medical type of a um, decision-making process. But I, going away from this specific issue, these types of issues are very complex. Um, economic issues, things related to, let's say, COVID, even lately, um, political issues of any kind, they're almost always very, very complex. And people tend to simplify them and especially in today's day we're getting more and more polarized where everything is very black and white it's either this or that and you should see it only this way and how could you see it any other way and if you disagree with me you're stupid immoral and, and all sorts of horrible things and when issues are complex what that usually means is one whatever answer we think we have is at most a partial answer no one knows these things um, completely. As I've mentioned before, we can look at economics issues, tax issues, and even economists with PhDs will disagree with one another on what to do or what will be the consequence of raising taxes, lowering taxes, doing this, doing that. There is disagreement amongst the experts, people who have studied it, yet 
most people assume they know or it's so easy. Oh, just do this. Or how could you do that? Of course, you have to raise the taxes or lower the taxes or whatever is your position. It just seems so obvious and anything else would, would be stupid. But these issues are very complex, meaning that you're not going to have the whole answer. And then because of that, if someone sees it differently, you likely should be able to have some understanding for that because they are complex issues that involve a variety of factors. And I say this because to come to resolutions or better understandings, we're going to have to see each other's sides more. And we're also going to have to look at our own side more critically. Whatever it is that you believe, recognize that you don't have a monopoly on the truth, that you haven't figured out whatever the issue is completely or have all the answers. You have some understanding, you have feelings about it, you have thoughts, you value some parts of the decision or the issue more than others, and other people might value other parts of that same issue. And so try to understand. Understand doesn't mean you agree. Understand doesn't mean even you accept their side as the right one or a good one. It just means you understand where they're coming from. So when it comes to guns, to abortion, to various things, I have strong feelings and opinions about them too, and at times share them on the show. But I do think it's important to try to make sure we understand what others are thinking and really to look at ourselves critically and to think, okay, whatever this issue is, let me see how much I understand and recognize that this is the best I can do right now, but I know it's incomplete. So we don't know what would have been the best thing to do with COVID even after the fact, let alone while it was happening or while we were figuring it out. But people like to say, oh, we should have done this or that was so stupid or how could you have done this or that? Well, if you think dealing with COVID was a simple matter, I think it shows you just really have no idea what the uh, full complexity of the issue was. It's not a simple matter. When you look at economic issues, it's not simple. So anyone who offers simple solutions, we also have to be wary of that because people are drawn to that quick fixes, simple issues or simple solutions will always gather attention because it feels nice. Oh, it's so easy to fix this, whether it's a personal problem or a political or social problem. But recognizing the reality is that there is complexity. It is much more complicated than you probably think or any one person is going to make it sound. And being aware of that, I think, is really important. All right, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and listeners and to Batis here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fajr Be kind and take risks. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.